Now, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Drew Lang. I'm the youth pastor here at Golfside Church, uh, and I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I just want to say that up front. Uh, last week, if you weren't here, uh, we heard an incredible sermon from our, well, he is an adult leader at Golfside Youth, which makes, I mean, I just love him automatically for that right there. Uh, his name is Jason Harper, and he talked about uh, the body of Christ, servanthood, and why we are here. And it was an incredible message. But I'm excited for this one up ahead. And it, it's not just because the man that's about to speak is my brother-in-law. Uh, it's because he is anointed. And I was paid to say that last statement. Uh, actually, the very first time I met Andrew uh, was about two years ago. I, I was first taken aback by just how sheer athletic he is. And for those of you that know Andrew, you know that, okay, he's very athletic. But I didn't fully grasp how crazy of an athlete he is. And two years ago, uh, around December time, we do a sledding hill out in the back over here uh, for all the kids. And uh, a bunch of the youth students got a bunch of snow and they were throwing snowballs at me. So I'm trying to run away from these students. And Andrew gets a snowball and he just like flicks it with his wrist. But this thing didn't feel like a flick of the wrist with a snowball. It felt like a gunshot, okay? You could hear it whizzing through the air. And somehow it hit me in the ribs. And I'm not kidding about this. I thought that my ribs were broken. I had a bruise right here that didn't go away for three weeks because he threw it like that. That's just how crazy he is. So if you first meet Andrew, you, you realize, wow, this, this dude is blessed with an ability for sports and athleticism. But if you start to talk to him a bit longer, you have a conversation with him, you'll realize that he is a man of character, a man of honor, that both young and old would respect. He loves his wife, he loves his kids, he loves his family, he loves the church. He's honestly an, an impressive guy. So I'm super excited that you, you're about to hear from him. So everyone, can we just give a hand for Andrew Basic? Thanks, dude. Love you, dude. Good morning, Gulfside Church. How are we doing today? Yes, I'm so excited to be here today. So like Drew said, if we, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Andrew Basic, and I, I love Gulfside to death. I've been coming for quite a while. Um, and pretty early on, just to give you a little bit of information about me, pretty early on, uh, Paul talked to me at one point, and he said, hey, uh, I see these gifts in you, and uh, I, I want to help you develop these gifts. And these gifts were of teaching and communicating. Um, so Paul's been mentoring me since the launch of Gulfside to be uh, what, four years in October? Super excited about that. But so Paul's took, taken me under his wing, and I, I, I love that he's done that. He's had me come up a few times to just teach and practice this gift of communication and teaching, and I love every chance I get. Um, I, I do believe that God, whether it's in the near future or whether it's a little bit farther off, that he is calling, us, calling me and my wife, our family, to be pastors. Um, so any chance I get to practice this gift, I'm all over it. I love every chance I get. Um, but that's a little bit about me. I want to dive right into it today. So in October of 2019, something crazy happened. And I couldn't believe it when I read this. But there's this guy. His name is Elliot Kipchonge. I'm sure I butchered his name, but that's okay. He did what the running community considered to be the last great barrier in running. So the first one was running a 100-meter dash in under 10 seconds, which someone did that. The next one was running an under-four-minute mile which is just stupid. And then the last one was running a marathon in under two hours, which is, I mean, 
That's just dumb. Whoever thought about that being a possibility is just absolutely insane. But this guy made it a goal, and he accomplished this goal in October of 2019. So I just wanted to paint a picture of what, what it looked like for him to be successful in this goal that he set for himself. So he set this goal in 2011. So it took him a total of eight years to accomplish this goal. He tried multiple times. I think the first time he was like 25 seconds off, which I would be infuriated if I was that close but missed that. Then the next time he was like a minute and some change off. The third time, his final time was one hour, 59 minutes, and 40 seconds. But in order to accomplish this, he picked uh, a flat uh, six-mile loop in Vienna, Austria, because running a flat surface and with minimal curves is, is more energy efficient because it takes more energy to run around curves. So he did that. This guy had pace setters who ran at the same pace that he had to go. There were like, uh, there were like five teams that swapped in and out because they, this guy's crazy. They can't do the same thing that he was doing. So he had like five teams swapping in and out. And has anyone seen The Mighty Ducks? That was one of my favorite movies growing up. Yes, my hockey guy over here. So they, they created a flying V around uh, Elliot Kipchonge. So in order, they did that because they wanted to break the wind resistance so he had less to run against. And they were also, like I said, setting the pace that he had to keep up to get this, to accomplish this goal. So that he had that. He also had, um, oh, the other thing, I don't want to skip this. So they were running at a pace of four minutes and 34 seconds for a mile. So that, that's just, I, I think at my fastest, I could run right around a six minute but that's just stupid how fast they were running, and they were doing it for this two-hour period of time. So to paint a picture of that, if you've ever gone on a treadmill and set it as fast as it'll go, like at the gym, it goes between 10 to 12 miles an hour. So if I get on that and I sprint, I might make it 45 seconds to a minute if I'm lucky. This guy went faster than that for two, for, excuse me, for two hours. It was, it's just stupid how fast this guy was going. He had an electric car that had his pace on there, and it painted uh, like laser lines on the ground um, so that the pace setters could keep up with it. And they also ran uh, the course on the curves, the perfect uh, angle, so he would be most efficient with his energy. They also had meteorology experts that looked at the forecast, and they said, all right, this is going to be the best time of day to do it because this is what the temperature is going to be. There's going to be minimal wind. There's going to be minimal humidity, and there's not going to be any rain. So it took all of these things for him to be successful at this just, I mean, stupid goal. So, I mean, what does is, what is running a marathon have anything to do with church? I know you guys are thinking that, but it has nothing to do with marathon. But the, the, what it took for him to be successful at his goal is what I want to look at. So I, I have had this question for a little while now that I want to explore with you guys. Um, so this question is, what does it look like to be successful as a Christian? Because I have a lot of friends that are walking in God's will, but their lives look drastically different as far as their careers. I have pastor friends, I have contractor friends, I have landscaper friends, I have um, physical therapy friends, I have chiropractor friends. I have all these different friends, and there's a ton more that have all these different professions, but they're walking in God's will for their lives. So, and we also see this in Scripture, right? Because we see Noah, who built an ark. We see Moses who led the Israelites out of Egypt and into the promised land. We see David, who was a shepherd boy, and he turned king, and he was known as the man after God's own heart. 
And we have Peter, who started off as a, as a fisherman, but he ended up turning into the rock in which the church was built on. So these guys had all these different uh, paths of life and what their lives looked like. But I wanted to look at what consistent thing did they do that allowed them to do all this under God's will. So who be- who's, who's better life to look at than Jesus if we want to see what example that we have to live? So we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about being successful as a Christian. And we're going to do this in Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 39. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to put it up there in a second, but not yet. So just to give you a little bit of context behind that. So this is at the, Jesus is uh, the beginning of his ministry. So they talk about John the Baptist, and then Jesus comes, gets baptized. He gets sent out into the wilderness. He comes back, starts performing miracles, casting out demons, doing all this awesome stuff. Then he goes back and he calls Simon Peter, his first disciple, along with his brother Andrew. And then he goes and gets John and James. And then they start, he starts performing more miracles, more signs and wonders. And then at this point, Jesus has created this huge name for himself because he's doing all these incredible things. And everybody's gathering around because they want to hear his teachings. They want to see what miracles he's performing. They want him to perform miracles for them. They just want to get close to this guy. So that's right where we're going to pick up And this is in Mark chapter 1, verse 35 to 39. And it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, and all these people are here waiting for him, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions came and looked for them. When they found him, they said, Jesus, what are you doing? We have all these people here waiting to hear what you have to say. You're out here praying. But he, they didn't really say that. That's just me paraphrasing a little bit. They said, when they found him, every, they said, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I've come. So we traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and teaching and driving out demons. So everyone heard about what Jesus was doing. I, I imagine they were all gathered around the Motel 6 where he was staying. And they were just waiting in this massive crowd and the disciples were looking out the, cur- the curtains that probably weren't there. Like, ooh, look at all these people. Come on, come on, let's get Jesus. And then they went over to his door and said, Jesus, all these people are here. Come on. And they didn't hear anything. And then they knock again. Jesus, what are you doing? And they open the door. And he's gone. He's not there because he withdrew to a solitary place where he could pray with his heavenly father. And later in this chapter, which we can also find in Luke chapter 5, we see Jesus heal a man with leprosy. He says, don't, shh, don't tell anyone about this because, I mean, just go to the priest and, and let them know what happened so they can confirm that your leprosy is gone. But this guy ignores that and he starts running around telling everyone what Jesus did because everyone knew that this guy had leprosy, but now he doesn't. So now all, the, all these people are also coming to hear Jesus te- his, hear him teach, have him perform miracles, all these things. They come gathering around. And I imagine that it would say that Jesus starts teaching and performing miracles again, but it doesn't say that because it says when people came around to gather, he just slipped away again, just kind of snuck. He didn't tell anyone where he was going. He just snuck off. And he withdrew to a solitary place where he prayed. So in my head, it's like, Jesus, this is prime opportunity to teach your word and perform miracles so it makes your name more great. But that's not what the most important thing to him was. So frequently we see this happen throughout the Gospels. We see this in Luke 4.42, which is a different account from what we just read. 
Luke 5, 16, which we just read, Luke 6, 12, Matthew 14, 23, Mark 6, 46, and John 6, 15. And I'm sure the list doesn't end there where Jesus withdrew to a solitary place and prayed. So I had to ask the question, why is he doing this? He has all these people here waiting to hear what he has to say. So we're going to explore two reasons why I think that Jesus did this. And the first reason I believe he did it was to set an example for his disciples and to set an example for us of what our highest priority should be. Which brings me to my first point. It's going to come up on the screen and it'll hang out there for a little bit because it's a lengthy one. Um, It says, spending intentional, undistracted time with Jesus is the most important thing that we can do on a daily basis. The absolute most important thing. So I'm going to say it this way. So Doug and Carrie are going to be proud of me. But So we have a budget at home. We did Dave Ramsey and we did all that, but we have a budget at home. So the way that our budget is listed is, well, first off, Acacia has to drag me along because in the classes, she was considered the nerd who is the one that enforces the budget and sets up the budget meetings and all this stuff. And she drags me along. It's like, I don't want to do the budget. I want to watch Netflix. I want to sit and watch TV. I want to watch The Mentalist. I don't feel like doing this right now. So, but she drags me along and says, we got to do this. And you have to start putting it into the app, which I'm terrible at. But so she, she drags me along and does all this stuff. Um, so our budget, the way it looks is it's highest priority to lowest priority. So the very, very top of the list is our tithe because we want to be faithful in what God's asking us to do. The next thing, I enjoy camping, but when it starts raining, it gets 95 degrees outside with 100% humidity. I want to go to my house. I want, I want to stay inside my nice, cool house. So in order to do that, we have to pay the mortgage. Um, so that's the next priority. The priority after that is uh, I also, I hate, uh, I hate the, uh, when hurricanes come along and it knocks our power out because that means I don't have running water and I don't have electricity, which means I don't have air conditioning. So we have to pay our utility bill because I don't want to live like we have no power all the time. So we pay our utility bill next. And then after that, we have my student loans because they stink and I hate them, but they're almost gone. And then after that, that's when we start getting to more of the fun stuff. So that's where like spending money comes into play. That's where AMC tickets come in, Disney Plus accounts, Netflix, uh, going to the theme parks. That's where all this stuff lives. But so that's what our budget looks like for finances. But on the other side, we also have to budget our time. So when we budget our time, this is what it typically looks like. It looks like work because we want to have money to do all these things over here. And then after that, we have family. So we need to love our family. We need to pour into them and spend time with them. So family takes up a big chunk of time. And then after that, if we have any kind of sanity, we need to be able to get away and watch our Netflix show, or we need to be able to go outside, fish, go on a boat, all these fun things. We need something for us. And then, then we spend more fun time stuff and we have to clean every now and then and we go to the movies every now and then. But if we compare the two things, if we look at how Jesus lived his life, and I'm guilty of this, I, too often I don't have Jesus put at the very top of the priority list where he should be. And I have him down here where it's like uh, AMC tickets where I, I want to have fun every now and then. I want to be entertained. So I, I slip him down here, but that's the exact opposite of where he should be. Jesus needs to be the top priority in my life. And that is the picture that Jesus paints for us through the example of his life. And in Mark 12, 30, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul 
with all your mind and with all your strength. And in order to give him all of that stuff that he's talking about, all of it from the very top, he needs to be at the very top of the priority list in our lives, spending time in prayer and devotion with God. A.W. Tozer, who is a Christian pastor and a teacher a little while ago, he, I love this guy. Um, I have a quote from him, but I, I consolidated it because this guy says paragraphs of, of fire and awesome words, but I needed to break it down a little bit. Um, so, the, so he said, slowing down and spending time with God are the key to spiritual growth and success. So if there's a door that says spiritual growth and success, there's not a shortcut around the door. There's a key that's called, that's called prayer and devotion time with God. And that's the key to unlock that door. That's the only way for spiritual maturity to, to grow. And these are disciplines we see in the life of Jesus. We see him slow down, spend time with his heavenly father. His pace was relaxed. He walked from village to village. He stopped at a well, talked to a lady for a little while. And we see him just take his time wherever he goes. He leaves time for interruptions. He has margin in his daily budget time. So we need to follow that example. But it's funny because on this other side, we have our worldly culture. And this, it, it's basically the opposite of what Jesus is asking us to do. Our culture says, work more overtime, get more done, make more money, hustle, hurry, have a big social media following so everyone can know about you. Spend a lot of time on social media so you can maintain that following. But Jesus is on this other side saying, no, slow down, relax, sit at my feet, listen to what I have to say. And Dallas Willard, who was a famous philosopher and theologian back in the late 1900s into the 2000s, he was asked, what one word would he describe, would he use to describe Jesus? And rather than saying almighty, powerful, holy, majestic, perfect, no one like him, rather than saying any of these things, he said, relaxed. Because that's the example that Jesus gave us. He was relaxed wherever he went. And that's the exact example we need to follow if we want to be successful in living out the callings and what he has for our lives. So the second reason I believe that Jesus would do this, withdraw to solitary places and pray, which is the second thing, it says Jesus' or Jesus's power and ministry is drawn from his private communion with God and prayer. So Jesus needed this time away to draw power for the ministry that he was living out on earth. And if he needed that time to get away and pray, how much more so do I need that time to spend time with God, get away, pray? So I'm guilty of this a lot of times. And I feel like some of us are also guilty of this, where after we've, we're a little bit more mature in our spiritual walks, we get to the point where it's like, I'm self-sufficient. I don't really need to spend as much time with God as this other person does. And it's like, all right, it's been a day <clears throat> since I spent time with God. But it's okay, because I remember what it said yesterday. I'm good to go. I don't need devotion time today. But then a day turns into a week. And it's like, all right, I'm starting to feel it a little bit more. And then a week turns into a month. And then it starts changing how we make decisions because we're not connected to God. And then it keeps going further and further away until all of a sudden we disconnect from our source of power. Because we haven't spent quality time with our Heavenly Father. So two things happen when we disconnect from our Heavenly Father. One, we, we lose the power that we need to live out the ministries that God has called us to in our lives. 
So we have a refrigerator at home that stopped working. And I went and checked it the other day. It said 60 degrees on the inside, which no bueno, not good. And I can't tell you how quickly that food just stunk. It was awful. Like I, I opened the door because I was like, what can I save in here? Oh, what the heck is that? And it's been like two days. But 60 degrees, two days, that thing's going to reek. So I had to ask the question, after how quick, after how short of a time that we disconnect from God, do our actions start to stink? So that's one thing that happens. When we get to that point, that's when we start to make mistakes. That's when we start straying away from God. That's when the devil sneaks in and, and tempts us and we fall into temptation. That's when all these things happen when we start, when we disconnect from our power source. And the other thing that happens when we disconnect from our power source, which straight out of Psalms or Psalm 119, 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So we need to be connected to God to know exactly what steps to take as far as what his will is for our lives. But if I'm disconnected and I don't have power, I'm just kind of wandering around. It's like, this looks like a good idea. This, like, this lines up with scripture. This is good. But, oh, over, this looks good, too, over here. I mean, it's not bad. It's not against Scripture. But just because it's not against Scripture doesn't mean it's exactly what God wants to do at that time. So his word is a light to our path, or a light to our feet, and a light to our path. So we need to stay connected to Jesus to be successful in what he's calling us to and to know exactly what his will is for our lives. What would happen if I just stopped eating food? You guys can interact with me about that. What would happen if I just stopped eating food? Death, yes. That's the long-term uh, result. But at, at first, I would start to lose a little bit of strength. I would probably lose a little weight. I would, my muscles would start to atrophy. My organs wouldn't function the same way. And eventually, yes, death is what would happen. So I need food and water as a fuel source for my physical body. What would you have to say if I told you that it is just as important for our spiritual bodies to have prayer and quiet time and devotion with God it is equally as important as food is to our physical bodies. But it doesn't, there's a lot of head knowledge in that statement, but as far as heart knowledge, I know I lack at times and I feel like a lot of us lack that heart knowledge because it doesn't reflect in the way that we live our lives. Adam Clark said it this way, who was a British theologian in the 17 and 1800s. He said, a man can give nothing unless he first receives it. And no man can be successful in a ministry who does not constantly depend on God. I read this and Jesus wrecked me with this uh, a, a, like probably a week or two ago when I was preparing this message. Because at home, I have a wife I have our newborn girl. She's four months old. I have our foster kids we have to take care of. We have a small group at our house who, the, I mean, these people are going through some stuff at times. And I can't say all that because we have confidentiality in our groups. So they're going through some stuff. But what I'm reading here is I can't successfully lead my family, lead my daughter, and lead my small group unless I'm connected to God. And if I'm being perfectly honest, about a month or two before when I was preparing this message, I wasn't connected. I was 
putting higher priority or putting things as a higher priority in my life than Jesus. I wasn't spending quiet time and devotion time. And when he, he showed me that, I broke down and I cried on my way to work. And I had to sit in the parking lot for a few, for a few minutes because it just wouldn't stop. I said, all right, Jesus, I get it. I need to go to work now. I can't cry right now. I need to go to work. So it just, it hit me so hard. And I love, I love reading about the life of David and reading in the Psalms where he has all this stuff stacked up against him, but rather than putting priorities higher in his life than Jesus or in God, we see frequently how regardless of what's going on, um, if it's Goliath standing against him, if it's Saul trying to kill him, if it's Absalom trying to kill him, he's constantly crying out to his heavenly father and asking for prayer and strength because he knows where his power source comes from. I think we need to try to do the exact same thing if we want to be successful in what God's calling us to. In Psalm 55, 22, this is David praying. And at the end of his prayer, it says, it's going to come up on the screen, cast out your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be shaken. So if we want to be successful in what God is calling us to, then we must stay connected to him. And if we don't, then we lose our source of power and we lose our source of direction for our lives as far as exactly what God's will is for our lives. But continuing on the passage, again, back to where the first passage, um, by intentionally getting away and spending time in prayer with his heavenly father, Jesus knew that he was supposed to travel to different villages to preach the gospel, perform miracles, and cast out demons. So verse 37 through 39 are going to come up on the screen. And it says, when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. And he replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I've come. So he traveled to nearby villages throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. So this part hit me too, because Jesus made this decision to go to different towns and villages, knowing that this massive crowd of people were there waiting for him. But it says specifically, this is why I've come to travel to other places in Galilee and preach in their synagogues and cast out demons. This is why I've come. So they did that. But it drove me nuts because he didn't, he didn't go back and say, hey, um, I'm not coming back because I have other towns to go talk to. Or he didn't send Peter back and say, hey, we love you guys. To, we love you a ton, but we have to move on to other villages. It doesn't say that they did that. So all of these people that were back in that village waiting to hear Jesus' teachings, waiting to have miracles performed, waiting to have demons cast out, they were just disappointed because Jesus never came back. But that doesn't mean that Jesus was walking outside of the will of his heavenly father. It says he was here to teach in other towns and villages. But my third point is when we're walking in God's will for our lives, we need to plan to disappoint people at times. Which sounds wrong, right? I know my sister-in-law, Aldrin over there, is just, ah! She's a people pleaser. She likes doing things for people, making them happy. And I'm the same way, but that's what God asks us to do sometimes. We can't say yes to everything. So we could, we could have seen Jesus go, to the, go back to the village teach, cast out demons, and that might have made it in the Gospels. It could have made it there. But instead, and that wouldn't have been a bad thing for him to do because it would have been good things that God was doing, but he was following the will of his heavenly father. 
I'm going to have the band come back up to the stage. And this is my beautiful, well, my beautiful wife and my beautiful little baby girl that I was telling you about earlier. <laughs> this is Shaylin Scott Basic. And I did hardly any work for this. My wife did a crap ton of work. I just kind of stood by. I was trying to be encouraging. And at the same time, so I was just trying to do whatever she needed me to do to do it, to, to have this happen. And my wife is incredible. She, she birthed this incredible baby girl who I'm absolutely obsessed with. So Saturday mornings typically look like me waking up, rolling over to see her looking through her bassinet with big eyes. And as soon as one of us makes eye contact, she goes, <laughs> she, her mouth opens and she usually makes a cute little baby noise. And it's awesome. And then I sit with her on my lap until she starts crying because she wants her nanas, her bottle. She wants that, so I have to go get her bottle. And then I just want to sit with her and I never want to get up. Um, and I, I just, I'm absolutely obsessed with this girl. And my life has drastically changed since we had her. Going back to that budget illustration, just like we have a budget for our finances, we need to have budgets for our time. In Proverbs 14:8, it says this, the wisdom of prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Basically what it's saying is that wise people, people that are living out their lives like God is calling them to do, they think about what they do before they do it. They budget their time. They have plans for what they're going to do on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis. But they also leave time for margin. Just like Jesus did, we have to leave time for margin in our lives, for, for interruptions to happen where God wants us to do something. So whenever we say yes to one thing in our time budget, it means saying no to something else, even if we don't realize it at the time. Since we've had this beautiful little girl, I've had to say no to a lot of things that line up with scripture, like discipling guys, pouring into guys. I've had to say no to some things because of the priorities that God has put in my life with God being first, my wife being number two, this beautiful girl being number three, who I'm absolutely obsessed with. So again, as we stay connected to Jesus, he's gonna be the light to our path. And if we wanna be successful in what he's calling us to do, we need to put him at the top of our priority list. We need to sit down at his feet and spend time with him. The application to this is simple today. Like I just said, the key to being successful is sitting down, sitting down at his feet and setting prayer and devotion time at the highest part of our priority list on a daily basis. And both of the, so praying and slowing down in our lives are both spiritual disciplines that we see reflected in the life of Jesus. And in order to get better at these practices, we need to start practicing these spiritual disciplines. It's, we're not gonna be professionals right out the gate, but anytime that we give to God, cannot be counted as wasted time. He is happy with every second we spend with him. And initially turning back is scary because for me, 
a lot of times turning back, it's like, oh man, I've, I've made stupid decisions. I, it's been forever since I spent time with God. He's gonna be angry with me. He's gonna be upset. But really the exact opposite is true because our perfect heavenly father is standing there waiting for us to turn back and run to him. Just like we see in the, prodigal, the story of the prodigal son. The father's waiting with open arms and he meets his son halfway. I wanted to read some lyrics from this from the song that we're about to sing together because I felt like it just wrapped everything up so well. It says, My heart has been in your sight long before my first breath. Running into your arms is running to life from death. And I feel this rush deep in my chest. Your mercy is calling out. He's not going to be angry when he turns around. He's going to be overwhelmed and happy that his child has turned around to him. And just as I am, you pull me in, and I know I need you now. So I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding. No reason to wait. So let us be a people who follows the example of what Jesus is asking us to do, and let's run to the Father. Don't wait a week or a month and be like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Let's turn right now and run to the Father. Can we pray? Dear Jesus, thank you for this time where we get, just get to reflect on your word and the example that you give us through the life of Jesus. God, again, I pray that we can be a people that that respond to what we hear and that we can run back to you and we know that you're waiting with open arms. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you for allowing this time for me to practice this gift that you've given me. God, I pray for hearts to be open as we transition into this time of worship and God, that we can just truly worship you. God, we love you and we praise your name. Amen.